Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. It is the PGA live stream brought to you by Wind Daily Sports. My name is Sia Najad. I have the pleasure of being with Draftmaster Flex with Sticks Picks, otherwise known as Joel and Nick. And I don't know about you guys, but I've got a really good feeling about the Charles Schwab Challenge at Colonial Country Club. Let me start with you, Nick. Uh, how you feeling about this one? Are the vibes feeling kind of good, kind of neutral, or kind of bad? No, actually really good. Usually I hate these these little tournaments, that, especially where there's like, you know, 50% of the win equity is coming out of the top seven golfers in sports books. So it's like it's it's very condensed because it's, it's like choose your stud and then everybody's going to play the same value guys. But I actually love it. My model spit out a lot of guys. I was hoping it did. And a lot of their ownership is pretty low. So I think I'm in a pretty good spot here. So we'll see. But I like it. Usually I hate these tournaments, so. Joel, how about you? And I have some commentary about what, what Nick just said. But, Joel, how about you? How you feeling? I feel good. I think what I'm seeing and what I'm afraid is happening kind of throughout the industry right now is two things. One, I think there's more people playing DFS golf um, and getting into it more seriously. I think because of that, a lot of people are getting a lot of similar content. And I mm-hmm. think what we're seeing is there's going to be a lot more chalk than we're used to. I think people are going after the same guys. They're looking at this, they're watching the same shows, reading the same articles, and we all kind of are looking for the same thing. So um, I think that's my biggest thing is like there's some guys that I'm really dialed in on this week, but I'm pretty sure everyone else is too. So I got to find ways to, one, be different, but also just make sure you get those top, you know, six or ten guys. It's so funny you say that because I am also a consumer. We all are, I think, to a degree of, of all the content that's out there. Better Golf Pod, for example. I mean, the PME, First Cut Pod. There's so much good content out there, depending on what you want to listen to, how much time you have for. But Joel, what you just said is probably the most astute comment I've heard out of all of them, because I'm looking at the ownership or at least the initial preliminary ownership of some of these guys. And I'm like shocked. Like the chalk is super chalk. And even the guys that I thought would be like just moderate chalk. Nope. Super chalk. So you're right. Everybody's sort of running to the same content, the same outlets. And here we are, you know, having to figure out how to pivot. And that's why I love having Nick on because I know, and Joel, you as well, I know we can appreciate the chalk. We sometimes play the chalk, but knowing where the pivots are, and I'm actually really excited about this tournament because I feel like I know where the pivots are this week more than most weeks. I'm really excited about certain pivots, guys in the five, six, seven percent range that are good pivots off, you know, your your Corey Connors or your answers or your Morikawas, or when you get down to the 7K range, your Chris Kirk. So we're gonna bring you all of that. And so I'm really excited to do that. And and uh, Nick, what what you said about you know just pivots and chalk in general i mean i just think that when you are like we have to understand this when we are playing a big gpp you definitely want to have a number of pivots when you're playing a single entry or a cash game it's definitely okay to play some chalk and we talk about this in discord all the time like you know it there's a balance there depending on the tournament you're playing so please understand that when you're in discord with us ask us those questions tell us what tournament you're playing or what if, if it's a cash game because that's ultimately going to be really important nick let me start with you as far as this course is concerned um we're at colonial you know, things I'm looking at in particular are, you know, strokes gained approach. I think that's going to be huge. The proximities I'm looking at are between 100 and 175. I'd like to have guys that are accurate off the tee as opposed to having distance off the tee. Around the green isn't really huge for me here. I've heard differing opinions there. And, you know, putting's never going to be big for me, but, you know, it's it's moderately priced, if you will, for me. Nick, am I way off? Is that sort of what you're looking at too? Is there something that I didn't mention that really stands out for you when you did your modeling? 
I did factor in a, a little bit more course history than I usually do. And then I, I was a little higher on around the green, but TD green, man, everything TD green approach, approach, approach. I think you can ease up on off the tee. You don't need to be that accurate at this course. It shouldn't be very punishing. I weighted it very similar to uh, like, if I look at my historic ratings and, and kind of just do like a, um, whatever on Excel to search and like see what it's closest to in the DNA of my Excel file. It really grades out closely to the Honda Classic, which we know that course is very volatile. There's a lot of water and stuff like that. So I think just going back, looking at the Honda Classic, seeing that some guys that did really well, I'll talk about one of them that no one's on this week. It's pretty much like the same thing for me, just safer. So if there's some guys that blew up at the Honda Classic, I wanted to go back and see why. And if it's because of water on a couple of those holes, weather was pretty tough there too. The greens were really, really fast. I like there's some guys that did really bad at that course, but struck the ball very well. That I'm going to go back to this week. Gotcha. And Joel, and now to you. I mean, it, it must be music to your ears that Nick said he's going to be factoring course history a little bit more than normal because I know that's a that's a big factor for you. Pretty much every tournament. Uh, with that said, of course, you're factoring that in. Anything else that you you have been focused on so far? What I'm what I'm seeing this week is, you know, off the tee is not going to be as big of a priority. I think it's relatively going to be safe. You know, you don't have to worry about guys as driver as much. So more so than normal, uh, I think I'm really kind of putting forth my priority on approach game, which we do every week. But it's like I think maybe that be that might be part of the reason why we're seeing extra talk because. We're doing that every week anyway, but like you don't have to add that extra factor. Well, we're going to need to be hit greens. We're not. We're going to need fairways, or we're going to need extra drive distance. You don't. You really just want to find your best iron players. I think this week, which is what we're always looking for, and I think that's just drawing a lot of that chalk as well. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, let me just flash this up there, uh, Nick. You want to talk about your your two forty to Chan. one shots that were just unbelievable. I think you had two of them right that were just like plus seven hundred or higher or something like that. I had uh, Chan Kim plus 750 to finish top 40 and i uh if anybody in the world had a chan t- chan kin kim ticket that was not from the better golf podcast or win daily please let me know and i would uh i'd be honored to see if anybody else in the world was on i think that's nope. like i've hit some monster bets in my life i've also lost monster bets don't get me wrong we all we all lose too but i don't know if i've ever been more proud than the Chan Kim, because like all my friends, like who don't watch golf, they're like, it's a PGA championship. It's a major, you know, I'm, I'm going to mess around. And it's like, Nick, what do you take? And I showed him my betting sheet and they're like, what is Chan Kim? They're like, they're looking at him. Like I haven't seen an article on him since like 2011 or there, I think there's one other article in like 2016 about him saying how good Jordan Spieth is. So nothing about <laughs> Chan Kim himself. And uh, yeah, so that, that was awesome, and all my buddies were just laughing as he, like, barely made the cut. And then he shot so well Wednesday. He, I think he shot one over, but, like, his ball striking was amazing. He just had two really bad shots, and I think he took a double on one. Then he went in the water on 17, as everybody did. And then the dude went so low on Sunday. I don't know if he actually was the lowest score on Sunday. Maybe Berger came up there. The answer might have been. Answer, yeah, answer went nuts yeah. too. But I think he shot minus five. And on that course and those conditions on Sunday, like let's go like that. It was, it was awesome. I could talk just, about that pick for days. Just to give some people perspective on that. That's like hitting like just a flat out out outright of like DJ for example, or Justin Thomas yeah. at like the Honda Classic, or like kind of like a middle of the road, like not a stacked field. It, it literally is the same odds plus seven fifty that you'd get in in a full field event with basically betting the favorite. So it's it's pretty spectacular. I was, um, did you have some back and forth with? Go ahead, go ahead. 
I was gonna say it's more impressive than that because you're talking about betting one of the best golfers in the world over Dory. He's talking about a guy that was like on nobody's radar that he, he was, was zero. Like, oh, this is gonna be he's gonna be he's gonna be he the was, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like it, it's I'm just talking about the plus 750 component of it. Like right. people need to appreciate like how ridiculous like if you do, for example, like a two-game parlay. You're looking at like three and a half to one or, or whatever it is, three or four to one, depending on what the what the juice is. I mean, seven and a half to like plus seven fifty is is just pretty insane. Um, Nick, did I cut you off? What else did you have? To no, say I there? mean, he was he was point zero. I think point zero two percent owned in the big single entry. I played him in, but I also had Xander, but I should have won that bitch. And I'm pissed off. But because who else plays Chan Kim? And then Sunday he just goes nuts and my line just starts crawling up there. But Xander's just sitting there, yeah, Xander eating Cheetos. Xander kind of ruined me in a couple big lineups too. S guys saying hello, thank you for that. Um, This is a new listener, and actually he is in Discord uh, currently. I think he's he's signed up for for one of our things. He uh, he messaged me a couple weeks ago. Super nice guy. He's in there, so thank you for watching the show. Um, S guy, as usual, you are always prompt, and we definitely appreciate you watching. And then let's let's just go through a couple others before I ask Joel who his favorite elite range guys are. See ya, Joel. Love your work, gentlemen. That's of course I'm I'm definitely you know what? We need to see that one again because <laughs> I just want to make sure people that were watching on YouTube. See, there's a reason to watch on YouTube. You I'm not gonna read all these comments out. You gotta come here, you gotta watch, you gotta see Nick's uh team USA hat, which is pretty awesome. Uh let's see. Windaily Sports is popping in here, Ryder Cup season, fantastic. So listen. Speaking of the Ryder Cup, we got a lot of good golfers in this tournament. And Joel, I'm going to start with you. We always start with the elite range. It's not a ton of people here. We got Daniel Berger, Patrick Reed, Morikawa, JT, and Jordan Spieth. You know, I I think the way builds are going to go here, you are able to pick one of these guys and then just kind of go down the tiers if that's what you want to do. You could certainly avoid this tier if you want to go super balanced. With that said, who, who's your favorite guy here? Who's second place? And if, if anybody wants to ask, who's maybe the, the third place guy here? So I, I do have a favorite by a wide margin. And my favorite golfer for this tournament, uh, I already put a ticket and a pretty significant one on him to win it, is Colin Morikawa. I think this course sets up for his game pretty well in that, you know, um, it probably won't be too much around the green where, for him to mess up. Right. And if he's just striking his irons perfectly like he normally does and putting shots close, hopefully he won't need to make too many long putts because he'll be close enough anyway. Um, I think he's, he can really take this tournament down. So that's going to be my number one play by a wide margin. And then following that up, you know, Jordan Spieth has just been playing too well to f- completely fade. I don't love that he's the highest priced golfer, but at, at, as well as he's playing, you, I see it being profitable playing him. So mm-hmm. totally okay with him. Um, and the last one in this range, and it's more just because it's the overall value, is Daniel Berger at the lowest price point. Um, in this field, he's, he is pretty elite. So uh, I think you can kind of squeeze him in still and still build some pretty competitive balance lineups. So those are the three I'm looking at, but it's definitely Morikawa by a lot for me this week. And Nick, I'm about to kick it to you for a top three. The, the one thing I do want to mention, I, I probably should have led with this when we were talking about the course, we kind of jumped in right to the strokes gain metrics that we're going to be looking at and certain parameters. But know that this is a par 70 and it's 7,200 yards. And, and the reason that's important, it kind of brings the entire field in, you know, and that's why I personally said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking for accuracy. And you guys said, well, you know, distance off the tee, off the tee isn't as big. You know, it's always going to be good and beneficial to be long off the tee. But in this case, 
every the short hitters are absolutely in play, which isn't going to matter when we're talking about the elite range because all these guys can really strike it. But when we're getting down to that 7K range, maybe 6K, 8K, they're going to be guys that, you know, classically on a longer course, maybe we wouldn't be as high on. But I did feel like I needed to mention that. Nick, we are in this elite range. Uh, who's your top guy? And, and if you have any other guys you like, please, please let us know. So 11 and 10K? Yes. Um, it's going to be more cow for me by, by a long margin. And then Justin Thomas, I'm not going to play Patrick Reed, Jordan Spieth. I always love in Texas, but the ownership's pretty crazy. I know. So is Morikawa, but the savings at Morikawa just make my lineups a little bit better. Um, I don't think I'm going to touch burger, unfortunately, but he did grade out pretty well, but Morikawa uh, to echo what Joel said, he is far and away the number one in my mile this week. Burger's at number 10. So there's no value for me in the DFS, DFS perspective there. The one thing I'll say about Berger, uh, you know, I think he's better suited for for these shorter tracks relative to what we saw last week with him. I know a, a lot of the community was on Daniel Berger for good reason, but but I actually think last week was probably not, like not the best course fit for him relative to this week. So I think if you're looking to pick up ownership leverage, it looks like, and again, it's preliminary. We got to wait for Stephen Pilardi's article, which is going to come out tomorrow night. This is Stephen uh, piping in here, Ryder Cup. Um, but with that said, it looks like the ownership leverage is going to be created, at least in this range, by Daniel Berger and Patrick Reed. So if you want to, you know, if you want to say hey, we'll throw away Daniel Berger, you know, of course he made the cut last week, but he just wasn't very impressive. And then Patrick Reed made the cut, not only made the cut, but his Saturday and Sunday were actually really quite impressive. So if you're looking at Patrick Reed's stats from last week, if that's what you choose to do, you may want to look at rounds three and round four alone, separate and apart from rounds one and round, round one and round two, because it is kind of a, a different ball game there. I'll tell you, I agree with you guys on Colin Morikawa. I think if there was any player, and this is golf, by the way, so it's probably not going to happen. But if there was a player to kind of run away with this thing, I actually think it would be Colin Morikawa. And that would be sort of dependent on him having a hot putter, which he is prone to do and prone to, to not doing. But the ball striking there, I'm I'm obviously in love with. And I think he's kind of a good course fit anywhere, but certainly here as well. So uh, Colin's my guy. I think if I had to give a second place, it would be Jordan Spieth and then Daniel Berger. I don't think I'm going to be on JT or, or Patrick Reed much. So that brings us to the 9K range. Um, there's a lot of good guys here. I'm not going to read off all the names. Actually, I am. For this range, I actually am. Um, let's start at the bottom, though. Jason Kokrak, Sung J.M., Gary Woodland, Neiman, Connors, Scheffler, Finau, Abraham Answer and Will Zalatoris. A lot of good guys here. So, Joel, I'm going to start with you. Who do you like? So this is a is an interesting range. I think, you know, if, if you wanted to tell me your way of getting different this week was to start here and maybe get two of these guys and go, I like that. Like, I would be totally okay with that. Um, there's a lot of guys I like but don't love. And I, I like Zalatoris. I think the way he's striking it, you know, recently is really good. I actually think, if anything, though, um, the course fit might not be as great for him in that I think what he picks up a lot of strokes is in distance because he just crushes it further than people, and that won't be a huge advantage for him here. So he'll probably have to be a bit more accurate, but he can certainly do that. Um, who I really love, my favorite play in this range is going to be Abraham Answer. Again, mm -hmm. it's going to be similar to, to what we were saying earlier in that you know I think the one area that might be a weakness for Answer is distance which should be neutralized. So if he doesn't have to worry about distance here and he's just striking the ball well, um, he should be able to do really – and don't forget, uh, he's coming off three top three consecutive top tens. So he's, he's, he's dialed in right now, and if you think you know he's going to continue that form, this could be even a better course fit for him. Um, 
The last guy in this range that I, I just want to mention is, is right at the top also is Finau. Uh, Finau obviously has been a little bit hit or miss recently. In his last five, he's got two top tens and three missed cuts. So you don't know what you're going to get, but I think his upside is there where you can get top five from him. And, you know, he can be as good as anybody in the field. So, you know, of course, in GPPs, we're looking for upside. I think we can find that with Tony. Nice. All right, Nick, what do we got in the 9K range? I have two guys, and I'm going to play them everywhere, and their ownership is pretty much the lowest in this group. So I think that's what I absolutely love about it the most. Scotty Scheffler, Texas boy, I think, in terms of outrights, this dude's priced at like 30 to 1 when he should belong right up there with guys that, you know, Corey Connors is at like 22 to 1. How is he a, a better outright ticket than Scotty Scheffler right now? That's insane. So I, I haven't priced at 19 to 1 myself. So to see 30 to 1 out there some ways is great. So I'm going to load up on Scotty Scheffler and then the other guy who fits this course extremely well. He did really well at the Honda Classic, Sanjay M. Both of those guys are going to be under 10% owned, and I think both of them have elite winning upside here, and I think both of them are a lock for the top 10. Yeah, I, I like – so it's funny. So I like Abraham Answer uh, quite a bit for obvious reasons. I like Corey Connors quite a bit. Um, I don't know that I'm going to be on Tony Fee now, but I, I only mention Answer and Connors because they are going to be super chalky. I mean, these guys are going to garner – probably more ownership than almost every other golfer in this field. So with that said, you know, what you want to pay attention to is, is these pivots that, that Nick mentioned. I think Scotty Scheffler is a really smart play. Um, I think Sung JM is a really interesting play too. My pivots in this range, and don't get me wrong, I am playing Abraham Answer and I am playing Corey Connors, but my pivots are going to be Gary Woodland and Jason Kokrak. So I want to kick it back to you guys. Are, are either of those two on your radars? And, and Joel, I'll start with you. So my my stance on both of them was when I started kind of doing the looking ahead at the week before the prices and everything came out, I think they were both guys that I was hoping would be my kind of sneakier plays. Uh, I just think, you know, they're a little bit overpriced. I would have liked them, you know, five to $600 cheaper. At this price, I think I'm paying too much of a premium, so I'm not in on them. Nick, I want to ask you sort of a corollary to, to what I asked him what Joel, how Joel answered. When you have a player, because I, I I answer often the, the same way Joel does. When I'm like, ah, they're a little overpriced, and you know you, you're, you're trying to work your money like you're trying to work your money. But with that said, if the overprice is going to get people off of a good golfer, does that sort of change your mind a little bit? Like, oh, well, the overprice is actually helping me because I'd rather the leverage than the price reduction in going to a different player. How would you approach that? It would depend on the golfer for me. Like when I see Jason Kokrak and Gary Woodland, if it was Gary Woodland of like three years ago, then that exact situation you just brought up, I'd be all about right now. But I don't, I just look at their, they're literally ranked 21st and 22nd in my model and they're priced 13th and 15th, give or take. And so to me, it's just like my rule is I can't play them unless they're like 0% owned or if there's someone that I think has sneaky winning upside. I don't think either of these guys check that box for me. I don't think Kokrak has what it would to win in this field, especially Gary Woodland. Yeah, I guess he does, but we haven't seen that type of player on out of him for like three years. So if it was like a sneaky guy, like, I don't know, like who would we like if Justin Rose was a conversation here and we were on Justin Rose this week, I'm personally not. But like when I see that name, a guy that could play elite golf, he's shown it this year and he could win, then maybe I would do it. But for Kokrak and Gary Woodland, I just haven't seen it out of them because at this price, you need a, a top 10 finish out of those guys. And I feel like that's their ceiling. So yeah, to, to I, me, I, I'm not in. 
I will say this about Woodland. I think the approach game is really, really coming around. If you go the last 24 rounds, which frankly, the last 24 hasn't been his best golf necessarily. It's probably more like the last 12, 16. He's 19th in this field on approach. So there's something to be said for the sort of the upper trajectory of that. And, and off the tee, you know, he's he's been kind of weird off the tee this entire year. But, you know, this is a situation where he's probably clubbing down is my guess. And so he's going to be able to put it in the fairway and not. So th- those are just some things to consider. Some of these guys that aren't accurate, um, they, they're probably going to get it in the fairway anyway if they club down. And I, I do like what I'm seeing out of Woodland from an approach standpoint. So between those two, I probably like Woodland a little bit more even though he's 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 well he's way lower in my model but i just kind of wanted to point those guys out i think they're. i, I would agree with woodland i would agree woodland, if i had to choose out the two it'd be woodland but to your point i think sung jay is a great pivot too because you're right it's going to be 10 percent or lower for sung jm all right so let's get to the 8k range uh we have this is a about the same size as the 9k range um there's a couple of super chalky guys in here well one or two in particular but before i mention their names uh Nick, I'm actually going to start with you this time. Uh, in the 8K range, who do you like? I got to love Charlie Hoffman. The guy just gets it done for me at week in, week out. He is a top 40 machine. I That was one of my biggest tickets last week was uh, Charlie Hoffman. I, I meant to put the hammer tweet on him like I did the week before with Norrin. I forgot. I'm sorry. Um, but like he's going to be one of the most popular players there is. But he grades out fourth overall for me. So in, in terms of DFS pricing, I think he's like 20-something. So... I have a massive edge in comparison to that. So I feel like I'm just going to eat the chalk there and I'll get different with guys like Sun JM or uh, Scotty Scheffler. And then I love Kevin Streelman. I don't know what else this dude needs to do for people to play this guy. Like he's a short hitter and he just tore up that core, you know, respective mm-hmm. to the, to the field. And this course should just, it should scream Kevin Streelman. He's good on bank grass, I believe. And, I did like Matt Wallace prior, but he's getting a little too popular for me. Talk about a guy that, you know, his ceiling is top 20, top 10. Maybe I think it's like right around that top 15 mark. So if he has a ceiling game, he kind of just hits value. So I'm going to be out on him. Uh, I was just looking at Greeley on Harmon's ownership. Everybody else is going to be a pass for me besides Tringali. I think this is a week there where Tringali has shown he has top five upside. He should tear up this course. My models have got him ranked 12th overall, so right by Joaquin Neiman, so to see him by that type of name, like that catches my attention. But overall, it's going to be Hoffman chalk for me. I'm interested in Billy Horschel if he stays below 10%. I think he's got elite upside here as well. He's already won golf tournaments this year, um, or golf tournament. Um, and then Streelman. And I think Wallace is going to be a fade for me. Harmon is for sure a fade for me at 30%. I'm not going to go back to Philly or, or Kevin Na. I know Kevin Na has won here before, but and Ryan Palmer is the biggest fade of the week for me. I have a, I have an interesting take on Ryan Palmer as a pivot, but I agree with the other fades for sure, uh, including Brian Harmon. I will say this about Charlie Hoffman. I think you might have said he's a top 40 machine. He's actually a top 20 machine. Six out of the last seven tournaments, he's finished top 20. I mean, it's it's getting just kind of absurd how good of a striker this guy is. Just it, blame. It is. Exactly. Not even just the ball striking, everything. This is a veteran golfer who can find his way pretty much around any course, uh, particularly this one. So I do like Hoffman. And before I kick it to you, Joel, I, I like Cameron Tringali quite, quite a bit as well. Um, he had the blow up round last week, which, by the way, if you run a stat model and you're doing like a, 
like kind of shorter parameters. Let's say you're doing 12 rounds or 24 rounds. Like the, the three or four hole stretch he had last week is really probably going to affect the numbers. It was that bad that it's really going to impact how your model looks relative to Cameron Tringali. So that's just something to consider. I think he's a great course fit here. I think he's getting kind of overlooked. I mean, when you look at his initial ownership projections, I mean, there are some people on him, but it's not like he's 15, 16, 17%. And I, I don't, I think he'll probably settle around the 10, 11% mark. So I think he's a pretty solid play, but Joel, 8K range, who do we like? So I actually have, I think a, a bit of a controversial take here. Um, so I actually like, funny enough, Phil a good amount and, and hear me out. Here, here's my thought process. One, the first one being, if you recall a month or two ago, uh, Lee Westwood, he surprised out of nowhere at a major. He got second, followed up, just just lost to Bryson, was competing. And then we all kind of had to take the next week where it was like, listen, that was awesome, but, like, that's not happening again. Followed it up with another second the next week, and no one was on him because I was like, there's no way he can do it again, right? I kind of see the same thing from Phil. And let's not forget, Phil came out and said he found something, right? And, like, all the things you're saying, like, he was practicing last week. He was do- – and he found something in his swing. And he was like, I'm going to compete this week. And he came out and he did. And I don't think he's lost it. The only thing you have to be worried about is if he went out and partied. But old man Phil ain't party. And he went home and rested. And, and if he's playing this week, he's feeling good. So um, I like Phil. I mean, he doesn't need to win the tournament at this price. Right? We're, we're getting a discount where if he gets you a top 10 or just competes, like hits, strikes the ball well all week, he, you're gonna he's going to help you make money. And the ownership looks super low. People are looking at this like he's going to have the championship hangover and no one wants to play him. So if that ownership remains – sub 5%, which is what it's looking like I'm seeing right now, then yeah, I'll absolutely sign up for that and, and run it back with Phil this week. So that's my, old. yeah, that's my way of getting different. I think Phil's, you know, the way he played last week, it looked like the Phil of old. And if he's found that and he's still doing it, I'm in, I'm going to play a lot of Phil. And then, you know, I'm, I'm also on the jock. I mean, Hoffman, it, you know, he's been playing so well with four top twenties in a row. Uh, his ball striking is so has been solid. I'm on him as well. Uh, Strillman listed. The only other guy in this range that I like that hasn't been messaged is Matt Wallace. Um, Matt Wallace ball striking has been really good as of recent. I'm going to give him a break last week with the time for 55 in a much more difficult course. I think once he gets back to an easier course, we might see him back to that same form we saw in the couple last, the previous two or three tournaments. Yeah, I like that. Here, here's what I'll say about Ryan Palmer. Uh, first of all, he, he hasn't been really like Ryan Palmer-esque. He hasn't been very good for for a little while now. Like the approach numbers are really slipping, which is which is kind of a surprise. Um, I thought he'd at least be a little bit more consistent, even if he had a dip. And obviously his price, when you see he's just, you know, $100 less than a guy like Charlie Hoffman, it's like, whoa. Or like you can drop down to a Kevin Streelman who, who has certainly flashed as of late. But, but I do still think Ryan Palmer has upside. I mean, I, I don't think his approach game just went away. I don't know if it's going to come back this week or not. I guess my point is, if it does come back this week, there's just not going to be a lot of people on him because he's he just hasn't been playing well. And there's other guys in this range that that people are going to take. And I do want to add something. I think it was um, I think it was PGA Splits 101 on Twitter that posted this, but he posted some quotes from from past winners and just pat, you know people who have played this course before. One thing he posted about Ryan Palmer. So he's a member at Colonial. So is his caddy. Okay, that's probably pretty helpful. Uh, his father, who who passed away a few years ago. This was his favorite course. And Ryan Palmer is on record as saying, this is like my fifth major. This is a tournament I really, really want to win. Now, that's not necessarily a good thing, right? You're putting pressure on yourself, unwanted pressure, maybe unnecessary pressure. So that can absolutely backfire. But but I do want to say that Ryan Palmer is very much emotionally invested in this tournament. And 
with all the great stories that we keep seeing from the PGA Tour with Phil Mickelson or Hideki Matsuyama or Jordan Spieth, I mean, it would be kind of fitting to see a, a story like this emerge. And I think Ryan Palmer has the game to turn it around at any given moment. So, no, I'm not playing a ton of him. But even in single entries, I will have a couple of shares of Ryan Palmer because I know how hot he can get. Even though the approach game is bad, I know how hot he can get. I like that. I agree. I think especially at a low ownership, I think he definitely has the upside for a GPP to be a pivot in this range for sure. Right, right. The fill take is really interesting though because you look at this guy's ownership. I mean, I, I again, these are projected. Like tomorrow night we'll have a much better idea with Steven's article. But, you know, it's it's funny because – it's almost like people think he's going to withdraw or something, which he has been on record as saying he's not going to. But the ownership is so low that people are just straight narrative shopping. They are like, no way he's taking this seriously. Like, there's no way he's going to be dialed in. And, you know, you're probably right about that, but you're not definitely right about that. And so that's why I love what you said, Joel. I mean, it, it, I mean, talk about picking up leverage on the field. I mean, that's, it's just insane, his ownership number right now. Okay, 7K range. This is a huge range. Um, Joel, I'll start with you. I mean, obviously, this is where a lot of people are going to live. I mean, if you want to be different, you'll probably have to get off the chalk in this range, and there's quite a bit of it. Uh, Emiliano Grillo is probably going to be the featured chalk in this range. I think Brand Snedeker is a decent pivot. He's just the same price. That's why I mentioned Brand Snedeker, and he's half the ownership. He's still popular, but he's, he's half the ownership. But I'll start with Grillo. I think that's chalk I'm probably going to want to eat. I have an outright ticket on him in our first-round leader segment, which will show up in about 20 minutes. He's going to be one of my guys because I always kind of take him and guys like Charlie Hoffman, first-round leader. With all that said, maybe, Joel, you want to go from 7,900 to, like, you know, the mid-7K seven, seven range. Who do you like? Yeah. You know, one thing about chalk is this. Just because a guy is chalky doesn't mean you should fade him. There's a reason everybody's on him. Uh, and I think sometimes we get a little bit – much oh everyone's playing i want to get in. so you do want to play all the chalk because that's going to make it really difficult but don't just i wouldn't recommend just fading people because a lot of people don't like them so it's just finding ways to know that these are the guys i like that are chalky and then knowing that i have to find ways to get different elsewhere to make sure i just don't play all the popular guys um with that being said i love Grio this week one, another one of my favorite plays he's ended up being third overall in my model in this field um you know his ball striking has been elite i mean he has been really striking the ball well you know if he makes a few putts this week gets his around the green game together he can easily top five so i will definitely eat that chalk i'm with you on brett skinner as well i've been playing him a lot recently um and i think what's really nice about this week for for Snedeker is i think one of his downfalls is that he's not very long and so that tends to hurt him on some of these more difficult courses where here that should be neutralized so him not being hurt by the distance uh, especially with his recent finishes, I mean, he's got uh, 17th and 11th, 42nd and 6th in his last four. That's really good. And if he can get a little bit of an advantage by having a shorter course, um, <clears throat> I think that can put him in, in a really strong position. One more guy in this top range I want to mention uh, is Matt Jones. And the story with Matt Jones for me this week is he's that guy that every week is like the borderline making my my pool of players – and then he's either like just out, and then he comes out and he plays pretty well. I'm like, oh, you know, I should have played Matt Jones. I think I've done that now like two or three times weeks in a row. So this week I'm going to play him so there won't be the regret midweek of like, ah, I should have played Matt Jones. I'm going to have him out there because I've seen he has been. He's been playing really well. And I think what's nice for him especially this week is I think where he ends up getting hurt the most is strong fields like in a major. There's just too many guys that kind of edge him out. So like you notice like he, he ended up getting – 
uh, 30th last week, which is, you know, pretty good. But if you take out, you know, 10 to 15 of the world top golfers, now he's at a top 15, top 10, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's closer to what this week is going to be like. So I think that could be another really sneaky play from this range. It's funny you brought up uh, Matt Jones because Isaiah, who was actually, I, I believe, watching the show still, I actually don't understand what that reference is. But the point is, uh, he's big on Matt Jones this week as well. I was kind of pushing back because, uh, you know, I think he's better for longer courses. I think he's better with, you know, the off the tee game. And I think his approach game has been a little lackluster lately. But listen, he's he's a gamer and he's been good for like a couple months now. So I can't really argue vehemently against that. Um Nick, the 7K range, I guess we could do the same thing, like 7,900, maybe to that 7,500 range. Who are some guys you have your eye on? 79 to 75. All right. Matt Jones did win the Honda Classic. So for whatever that's worth, that should grade out really well for me. Um, I'm not – well, I do like him. I don't think he's like a main play for me. I think my main guys right now are Cameron Davis at 7,500. Wow. And can I go down to 7,400 and just say – Yeah, go wherever you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, Varner, and then other than that, I'm a hard pass on Emiliano Grillo at that ownership. Um, I do like Matt Jones. If we had to go to the upper sevens for sure, Matt Kuchar, I think could could be in a good spot here. He always plays well in Texas. Um, but Chris Kirk at 20 percent ownership, I'm gonna be a hard pass there. And then I think Lee Westwood. Lee Westwood's been striking the ball extremely well all year long. So I think I'm more than okay with going back to Lee Westwood, especially if he's at extremely low ownership like we're seeing right now, like around one to three percent. Yeah, I completely overlooked Lee Westwood. Actually, I I really like that play on this course. I, I'm you know the Grio. Th- I'll tell you what, I will pass on the Chris Kirkchaw. I mean, he, he, you know, I understand he's a great course fit here, but you know, he hasn't really been that great. If he was maybe like nine or ten percent owned, it would have made a lot more sense. But he's looking like he's going to be like in the twenty percent range, which is kind of absurd. I, I think Lee Westwood is interesting. Can I ask you both about before we get to the lower seven K range? Uh, Siwoo Kim. I mean, you know, last week he he was terrible. I was actually on him. Uh, I think the the shorter course probably suits him a little bit better. Um, he is tends to be a good ball striker. Either you would would either of you consider going to Siwoo Kim? No, I did, this week I'm out. My, my issue with Siwoo is he's been so bad. I'm now at a point with him where it's one of those I need to see the improvement before I can go back to him. Yeah, so, I got you. You don't want to you don't want to be early. I see what you're saying. Um, Carlos Ortiz, somebody wanted, Ivan wanted to know about him. Is he in this? Oh, he is. He said, well, we're getting there. So, um, Joel, let's kick it back to you. Maybe in the low 7K range, um, whether it's Carlos Ortiz or we've got Steven in the chat, uh, Doc Redman. I don't know. Is he in the 7K range? He might be. Either way, let's t- talk about some of the guys in the lower 7K range that you like. So my the first guy I'm going to mention, uh, he actually didn't grade out on my model, but I am going to play him anyway just for the sheer fact that just looking at the numbers, it's Sergio Garcia. Yeah, now I Sergio like that. is the guy who listen. He is he missed four cuts in a row, so it's you know obviously that's the reason why he's you know this price. But looking at this field, no, you know if it wasn't for him missing four cuts in a row, Sergio could have been ninety five hundred, and no one would have blinked an eye, right? So you're getting a, a price where his upside is certainly there. The other thing about Sergio to look at is Sergio lost strikes, uh, lost strokes, ball striking. Uh, two tournaments in a row before the PGA. That's not like him. Right? That's not something he's going to do over an elongated period of time. Last week he gained strokes again, ball striking. He got something back. He still wasn't going to run the green, and he missed the cut. I think he's coming back up to the normal, um, and I think him I am willing to be a little bit early on in that. I think he's a better golfer 
than I think the price is giving him credit for, and I would like to be the one that gets credit for it, especially in a week where we know we're going to be eating some chalk. So his ownership looks pretty low here at you know maybe 5 or 6%. If I can get him there, uh, I think that could be a really nice way to get different. Um, another guy I, I want to mention is Brandon Grace. You know, Brandon Grace has sneakily been pretty competitive. I mean, he's making a lot of cuts. He doesn't get all that high, but again, same concept I mentioned before. He's playing in, you know, some tougher tournaments with a little bit stronger field. So I think he can maybe gain a little bit of leverage with a bit of a weaker field, maybe getting him up to a top 20 or so. So I like the way Brandon Grace has been playing. Um, And then, you know, I really like, you know, this is a guy who's been a, a, a favorite of mine for a while who we had to come off of when he, he kind of got to a cold streak, but he's starting to play better now. It's Joel Dahman at 7,400. He's going to be less than 10% owned. Um, he he had a couple of days last week where he was good. He didn't put together all four. Like, I'll love him next week in showdown. Like, one day he's taking some shots at him. I will play him for a week long as well, but maybe not as heavy for the full tournament. That makes sense. By the way, if you're playing Showdown this week, you might want to lean, especially if it's DraftKings, you might want to lean on guys who are starting on the back nine because some of the easier holes are the back end of the the back nine and the front end of the front nine. So you're going to get that potential wraparound birdie streak. Uh, you know, you can you can play it the other way if you really like a golfer. But as far as the birdie streak goes, the odds are you're going to get it from guys who are starting on the back nine. Uh, I'll kick it to you, Nick. Who do you like in the seven K range? There's a lot of guys here. Three guys. It is. Well, I already talked about Cam Davis and Harold Varner. So two guys. Actually, let's go three. Hell, why not? Um, Lucas Glover. Guy is gaining almost a stroke and a half off the tee to green over the past 45 days. Love him. Russell Knox, my model, always loves him. I don't know why. I can't quit betting on Russell Knox for the most part. I don't necessarily play him as much in DFS, but I always bet on him. And then C.T. Pan. I absolutely love CT Pan this week. He got third at the Honda Classic. He just blows up my model. I don't know why, but I'm just going to trust it. Let me actually try to figure out what is pushing him so high. It is also the TD Green. Oh, yeah. Almost two strokes gained TD Green over the past 45. So recent form is going to be really good. I like that, and he's good on short courses. I, I guess honorable mention to... Johnny Vegas, but there's nothing really sexy with Johnny Vegas. I'd rather have CT Pan at like zero percent ownership for sure here. Yeah, I, I like that. I I haven't really looked into CT Pan. I just looked at where he is on my model. It's not great, but I do really like Lucas Glover. I mean, he's top twenty five in my model. He's he's been sneaky for a while now, and on this type of course, I think he's actually going to surprise some people. I like that one a lot, and and I love Russell Knox. He's in my initial picks article, and he was one of the guys I was able to kind of finally point out. Hey, this guy isn't chalk, you know, as opposed to the Abraham answers that I had listed in the Emiliano Grios, for example. Um, he's been really good as of late. He's made three cuts in a row. His approach game has is, is been sneaky good, and it's especially good in the proximities that we're concerned with, you know, 175 and in for the most part. So I think Knox is like a really, really solid value pay. The only other guy I'll mention, and, and by the way, feel free if you guys have an opinion on Doc Redman or, or Carlos Ortiz, because those are questions in the chat. But um, the only other guy, and Joel, I'll ask you this. Um, do you like Matthew Maysmith at all? I mean, he's classically just going to be really good on approach and probably bad with the short game. Uh, he shouldn't have a problem getting it in the fairway. I just think he can get so hot on approach that at 7,300, he can he can do some damage for you. What do you think? So I'm going to be hesitant with Mason. I, I'm, I'm not going to fade him. I do like him enough where I'll make my player pull and I'll play him, but I'm, I'm going to make sure I keep the percentage low of how much I have of him for this reason. 
I think he's overrated for, for this reason. He does strike the ball really well, and he's going to have those, those ball-striking numbers. But he's such a bad putter, and he's really not very good around the green. And I think what happens is all the things, that the numbers that we run, weight the striking so much more that he always grades out better. And he's graded out well on my model this week too. So like my model is telling me to play him. But I think I've learned my lesson in that he usually grades out better than he actually ever performs. And so now I'm kind of learning my lesson to back up on him. I got to see him actually like – it's one of those – a, a more extreme version, if you will, because this is going to be a little bit insulting to Fino of Tony Fino. Like, he, I don't. While the ball striking numbers are there, he doesn't have that, that gamer. He can't win. Like, he doesn't put it together. I don't know. I mean, realistically, it's kind of like me. I stink at golf. Every time I go out there, even when I hit great drives and irons, like, I never score well. I always find a way to mess up. But I kind of get a feeling that that's kind of Naismith as well. So is that is that this? The same logic could be applied to a super low owned for the first time in a long time, Doug Gim. Is that the same reason you'd probably be off Doug Gim? Yeah, uh, similar. Very similar logic. I agree. I like Gim a little more. I just think he's a little bit better, but you're right. They are very similar. I probably, they'll both be guys that maybe I'd play, you know, five to 10% of my lineups, give them a little bit of chance, but definitely don't want to be overexposed. Gotcha. Nick, um, same question for you. Any Doug Gim, any Matthew Naismith? I mean, I only bring up Gim because he's finally like not chalk. It's been a while. And so he's lower priced and he's going to be under 5%. Any consideration with him or Naismith? No Gim Reaper for me this week. I'm sorry, folks. And uh, Naismith, no, I've been there, done that. It just never works out for me. And like Joel said, the putting is so, so bad. Um, you could be the best approach player ever, but if you're not getting tapping birdies and he's not just going to get tapping birdies all week, I think the field surpasses him. I think he, I think he misses the cut actually. Fair enough. I, uh, I'll tell you this, I, I'm not going to be on Ortiz or doc Redmond, but if I was going to choose one of them, it would probably be doc Redmond because it looks like the game is finally turned around and that he, you know, he can get hot. Like he was, you know, last year, for example, post pandemic. So any of you going to consider like a doc Redmond, for example, no. Yeah. Okay. I, so. I know. I'll, I'll play him a little bit. Um, you know, he he was a guy I really liked, like maybe a year ago, where he he found some form. If he's finding that again, he does have the ability to get some upside. Um, I don't love Doc Remondis as a golfer, so I won't be overweight on him. But yeah, I, I, again, he'll probably be in that same family for me as your Gims and Naismith. A very small percentage. Yeah, I gotcha. Okay, so let's go to the 6K range. I know for both of you, this is historically a place where you know you don't want to be. You certainly don't have to be uh, in, in this particular tournament. But I do think there's a couple guys that, that are actually worth playing. But before I kind of spill the beans on that, Joel, let me start with you. Guys in the 6K range that, that you might play – Maybe in a, in a single entry, for example. Like, do you have any feelings about a 6K guy that are strong enough to be like, yeah, I'd probably put him in, you know, a single entry and, and give it a shot? So, with me, I weight course history higher in the 6K range. Right? I want to find guys who aren't expected to do well and you know, who has done well here before. Those are the guys I want to target. So, coming down to the first guy that, that pops out for me is JT Posted. Now, JT's been hit or miss, you know, um, you know, missed the cut at the PGA, but he was 26th at the Wells Fargo, 54th at the Valspar. So he, he's kind of been in and out. However, his history here, he's got 10th in 2020. He missed the one in 2019, 20th in 18, and 44th in 17. So he's got two pretty strong results at this course, if that's something you want to buy into. Listen, you're not going to get – no one's going to be perfect on this range, so you just kind of got to find uh, some of the value where you can get it. Another guy down here um, that I, I find interesting that if you might want to take a look at is Brian Stewart. 
not a lot of upside, maybe better for like a, a cash gameplay, but he's, he's made the cut here five times in a row. Um, so, you know, he, he must like something about this course. Um, and, you know, his recent form is pretty good. I mean, the Byron Nelson, he, he, he's made three of his last five cuts. So I think Brian Stewart's another guy who could, you know, maybe be a value if you're looking to drop down to this, to this range uh, in, in the 6K range. The last guy, the last 6K range guy that, that I want to mention and throw out there is uh, Andrew Putnam. So Andrew Putnam was a guy who I was really high on three or four weeks ago. He was playing really well. He's lost some form more recently where he's missed uh, four of the last five cuts. However, um, he's been playing in some tougher fields. So, you know, making an excuse for him there. He also has a tie for third and a tie for 20th here. So um, he's shown the ability to play well on this course. Fair enough. Uh, Nick, what do we think about the 6K range? Any of them making your pool? Yeah, I like Brian Stewart. I didn't think anybody would talk about him. So damn you, Joel, but that's probably a good thing. Um, yeah, there are a couple. I like Michael Thompson, and I hate Michael Thompson, but my mom likes him for some reason. It's not like he's gaining that many strokes, TD Green, approach around the green. I don't know what it is, but it likes him. But the three that I really like, I think Joseph Bramlett is starting to play this, some of the best golf of his life. That's another 1% to 2% owned guy that I think is coming off the top 10 at, his, at the Byron Nelson. And then Richie Wierenski, he's just one of the best putters in the world, so he can always score at 6,800. You kind of got to keep that that scoring equity in the back of your mind. And the last guy I like, Luke List, I like a ton. He's going to be 0% owned. He grades out total for me at 28th overall, and he's like wow, 70-something in pricing. So he shows up as like the best DFS play for me and a GPP, GPP perspective. And let me, like, the dude is, what is he, 1.6, 1.7 pretty much over the past 45 days, strokes gain, T to green. This guy could play. His approach game is positive, around the green positive. The only downside is he's been losing strokes putting a little bit. But, again, I don't think putting's that big of a deal. Is If you're around the green and approach is going to be that elite, I think Luke List is a, uh, you should tear up these par fours at least. So I'm going to agree with you guys on Brian Stewart. He wasn't on my radar, so I'm not going to pretend he was. But, I mean, he does look like a pretty smart play, a good course fit. And I think Michael Thompson's a really good course fit as well. You know, he was a lot better at the very beginning of this year, maybe late last year. He's kind of fallen off. But, again, when it comes to a course like this, I really like the idea of, of having a good course fit sort of rebound with respect to his game. And I think Michael Thompson is one of those guys – uh, Tom Hogue is a guy I like as well. Now, he's he's missing more cuts than he's making, but last 24 rounds, he's 10th on approach. I mean, it's pretty good. And so if you're trying to focus on approach, obviously Tom Hogue is a guy, is a guy you want to look at. The problem with him is he sort of sucks everywhere else. Now, off the tee isn't going to be a big deal for him, but just like Matthew Naismith, just like Doug Gim, the around the green game is, is bad and the putting is really bad. But Hogue is the type of guy that can just really get hot for a couple rounds in a row and really pay off his DraftKings price if he makes the cut. So I like him. Uh, Wierenski I like as well. There's one other guy I want to mention. We talked about him a bit on the first cut on Monday on that DFS show. He's made nine cuts in a row. Nine cuts in a row, which, by the way, is the fourth longest streak on the PGA Tour. And his price is 6200 guys if, if if i if if that's all the information you had if if i if i said forget about looking if you don't already know who it is if i said this guy's 6200 and he's made nine cuts in a row and these are like it's not just Corrales Punta Cana and the Puerto Rico Open like like most of these are legitimate tournaments 
Whaley. It's got to be Whaley. It's, it's got to be Whaley. It, like I, I guess my question is, it was all so yesterday on the on the first cut. It was it was referred to as almost like a glitch. Like that doesn't even make any sense because if you scan the recent history of anybody in the six K range, for the most part, it's going to be you know more missed cuts than made cuts. It's certainly not going to be a string of four or five made cuts in a row. That's just not what you right. see in any six K range. This guy who nobody knows because he's never on TV is nigh he's he's going for his 10th made cut in a row i just feel like that's enough i i understand it's almost like rudimentary to think about this think about it this way but i almost think that's enough info like you you don't need to know anything else it's it's obviously a value play at 6200 if he's making that and by the way it's not like he's finishing like 61st and 57th like he's finishing in the 20s every single time i it feels like a cheat code which i understand i just jinxed the whole thing but am i wrong joel i'll start with you am i wrong about that no, that's the point that you just made last was the one I was going to make is it's not like he's getting 40th, 45th. He is getting 20s finishes, which, you know, that's completely – you can win a tournament with him in your lineup in the 20s. Right. Like, totally fine. He doesn't need to be higher than that. So there is enough upside with it at 6,200. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's a really, really strong play. Nick, am I crazy? I mean, it, you would assume he's going to be like 20% owned and it's going to be sub 10. So I think you just, you ride it till it breaks. He's a great cash game play at least. You, he does. I just put a lineup with him and you could afford the world. Uh, yeah. So one of the first lineups I made when the pricing came out, I, I think it was, I was just messing around. So, but it was Morikawa and it was Jordan Spieth. And then I, I threw in Whaley and I was able to like, basically make a, like, I felt like a normal lineup because I, because of the savings on, on Vincent Whaley. So, I mean, if you want to go stars and scrubs, and you want to have Whaley, one of your scrubs. I mean, no issue there. And honestly, I, if you had Hogue and Whaley, you're going to save so much money. I'm not saying Hogue is some like amazing play, but like you, you can fit a couple 6K guys that, that might make the cut here and like have a, an incredible lineup. Not only that, if you wanted to get like, – if if, don't think the only way to play him is stars and scrubs, right? If you wanted to do something with all mid-8s, 9s guys, 5 and Whaley, that's also a really solid lineup. So plenty of ways to use them. That's actually a better point than the one I was making because I think the initial reaction for, for, for people is to be like, oh, I can fit in like two, you know, 10K and above guys. Well, yeah, but you could probably also fit in three 9K guys and, and you know, work down from there. So that, that's a really, really solid point. It doesn't have to be like stars and scrubs. You could have scrubs and then like extreme balance at the top. Uh, with that said, I, th I think we're done with the DFS portion. Did we miss anybody? Before we get to some outrights and first round leaders, anybody we forgot to talk about that you guys want to mention? Anybody in the chat that, that needs to throw a name out, please feel free. Yeah, as we do finish it. the show. But um, let's go to uh, let's go to the to the outrights before we hit up first round leader. Uh, Joel, do you have any outrights? I was ready to spit out my first round leaders, but I can pivot. It's my my first, and I think the biggest one we've already talked about it was, uh, and I already put a full two unit. Back. I'm thinking about putting more. Call him Coward to win. I mean that's. Mm -hmm. I just think he's going to win the tournament. So uh, instead of, you know, taking my normal long shots at the quarter of a unit or anything like that, put it all on Morikawa to win, and, and I'm going to have some fun with it this week. All right. Uh, Nick has left us, so I'm going to go with my outrights. I was joking. Um, okay, Nick, you want to give me your outrights? Do you have any? Yes, I already punched a couple. So I'm going to double down on Morikawa with you. Um, again, number one, the model. i got to take him to win uh kevin streelman 65 to 1 on FanDuel, cameron tringali 80 to 1 on FanDuel, cameron davis 130 to 1 on points bet 
Scotty Scheffler. Uh, I guess the best price right now. I'm not going to tell you my price at 30 to one because that is no good. Uh, Scheffler's 28 to one on DraftKings is the best price in the market. It looks like Sanjay M 30 to one on DraftKings and Billy Horschel 70 to one on FanDuel. He is 33 to one on DraftKings. So literally double the odds. Like I, 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 you don't see that on guys with the name like Billy Horschel. He's respected in the golf community. It's not like he's a Chan Kim or anything like that. No offense, Chan. I know you're tuned in. Love you, buddy. But Billy Horschel at 70 to one on FanDuel is like got to be some sort of error. I don't think he can actually win, but at 70 to one, like what are you yeah. doing? There's value there, and and if he's at the top on Sunday afternoon, you start live betting. You know, you're you're you start hedging from there. Exactly. Um, I'll go Corey Connors. I, I just liked the number. I saw him at nineteen to one last I checked on DraftKings. So that's the only one I check. I'm so all these numbers are DraftKings, but I thought that was a pretty good price for Corey Connors as well as he's striking and as well as he grades out in my model. Um, and then I'm going to go kind of long shotish from here because outrights are kind of like whatever to me. I'm I'm more interested in getting the first round leader play because obviously those are all locks and guarantees. I, I just I like the narrative that I built for Ryan Palmer. So I think 50 to one. I'm just going to go with it and see what happens. If he gets hot, he gets hot. If he doesn't, I lose like, you know, eight bucks on on my 50 to one shot. I'm, I'm not going to put much money on that one. Cameron Tringale at 66 to one, I think, is actually a really good number. Sergio Garcia at 70 to one. This is the type of guy that's been playing really poorly. But if he returns to form somehow, which, you know, eventually all these guys return to form, right? It, it is all cyclical. It's just a matter of picking the time. 70 to 1, Sergio Garcia yeah. just seems like, whoa, that's – if it was 50 to 1, I'd be like, that's still a pretty good number. I might not bet it. But 70 to 1 is kind of a – What book is that? That's DraftKings. Sergio, So that's as of like – a couple hours ago. So, I mean, in terms of that Billy Horschel conversation, which, you know, Horschel's been a little bit better than Sergio lately, but it's still neither of those guys in this field should be in the 60 to 70 to one range. And the last guy I'll mention for an outright, I guess this is my fifth guy, is Russell Knox. I, I, you know, I don't really think he's going to win the tournament, but 110 to one, the way he's been sort of like getting better and better each tournament the last month or so. Uh, I could see it. I could see if Russell Knox was ever going to win, it would be on this course. So I, I like Russell Knox at 110 to one. And that's that. So let's go to first round leader, Joel. Any first round leaders? Yeah, so we're going to have some fun this week with the first round leaders. Um, we're going to go through the super long shot with our first play. We're going to start at 150 to one. Uh, and it's Benny Ann. You know, Benny Ann has shown the ability to go super low. That's what you're looking for with your first-round leader, right? He's, he's very volatile. He can blow up. He can be as, as bad of a score as anyone. But he does have the ability to shoot, go out and shoot a 64, 65, and, and have that low round. Then 150 to 1, it's worth taking a couple bucks on it and seeing if he can do that on the first day. Um, another first-round leader, another long shot, not quite as long, not quite as, you know, um, know ridiculous for lack of a better word, is Tom Hope. I know, you know, mm-hmm. Steve, you mentioned him earlier. He just tends to really – he has like a first round flair to him. He tends to really show oh, up in the round and then like kind of crumbles as the week goes along. So, you know, that's the way to bet Hogue, in my opinion. He does, you know, he, I haven't done this, but my bet is if you were to look at his strokes gained, like by round, round one is definitely like his best round. So, Tom Bones, when I play it, and my last one, and I'm just trying to find, oh, here it is, is um, another guy we mentioned already. It's another similar type of player to Anne and, and, and things like that. It's Joel Dominance. He's volatile, but he has the ability to go low. When he's pin-seeking and has those days, he can hit it at 90 to 1. I think you're getting a good value there. So that was dominant 90 to 1? Yep. I like that. I think that's a solid one. 
Um, spoiler alert, I'm on Hogue as well. So, Nick, what do we got on uh, first round leaders? First round leader, Cam Davis, 66 to 1 on points bet. CT Pan, 80 to 1. Sun JM, 40 to 1. And that is it. And we did have a question. And it was it was answered in the chat. But just for those of you that are listening, uh, you know, some of the books like a lot of us, you I shouldn't say us because, well, us, me uh, use like offshore books and they might only give you like top 10s or top 20s. And, and it's, you know, usually kind of the bigger outfits like DraftKings and FanDuel that are going to give you the top 40. So it kind of just sort of depends on where you're betting. I don't know that my bookie uh, that's another one I've used in the past. I don't even know that that one has top 40. So you kind of have to you know, be in the right place, I think, for that one. But uh, by the way, the question was asked, uh, do you have any top 40s for us, Nick? Oh, Maybe a couple yeah. you want to throw out there? All right, here we go. Stretch it out. <laughs> uh, no, I got a – this is kind of one, like, I don't usually like to take, but I did it last week with uh, Paul Casey. I don't like to take, like, short odds on top 40s, but Matt Wallace is minus 105 to finish top 40 on FanDuel. I think that's absolute lock. Lock it in, but be smart. Don't – put multiple units on these make it uh, i don't do any of them for more than usually a unit and a half at most harold varner on fanduel plus 125 cam davis on fanduel plus 150 russell knox on DraftKings plus 125 luke list is a small bet for me on fanduel plus 165 and then ct pan on DraftKings 200 it sounds like we're kind of all, and Joel, I don't know that you have this opinion necessarily, but it sounds like Russell Knox is going to be a popular play for us who's not a popular play just in the general betting and DFS community. So I think that's kind of cool. He's sticking out to us clearly. Um, and then we have the comment here, Matt Jones, first round leader, take all my money. Speaking of taking all your money, um, let's go over my first round leaders. I have six. I usually give like four or five, but Lately, I've been given six because it's just so fun. Two of these are kind of shorter odds than I like to give. I'll just give them right off the bat. To me, they're the obvious ones because they typically flash in the first round, like a Tom Hogue, for example. Uh, but Emiliano Grillo and, and Charlie Hoffman are both 45 to 1. I just think these guys are just classically so good in the first round. So I think 45 to 1, it's not a fun price, but I think it's a fair price. And, and I think I'm willing to put a few bucks on that. Tom Hogue at 90 to 1, we already discussed him. Obviously, he is one of my guys. And then I'll give you three more, including the breaking news. Cameron Tringali at 66 to one. Again, I just think we're getting really good numbers on Cameron Tringali, partly because of what we saw last week. And I just don't think the betting market is really on him much anymore. Lucas Glover at 90 to one. Uh, I just think Lucas Glover, he's had good day ones in the past recently, and he's just one of those constantly overlooked golfers. And, and I actually think he's going to have a nice tournament. So I'm going to take a deeper dive with him in a DFS standpoint, because I might, I might have to put in a little bit more that, than I originally was going to. But Lucas Glover at 90 to 1 first round leader. And then here's the breaking news. Are you guys ready? I, 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 you know, I don't know how much we're supposed to put on this one. I, you know, I, I don't know if we're supposed to leverage other people's bank accounts. Like, I, I don't know. Like, we'll have to kind of ponder what to do with like the, the unit we're betting here. But I will say that this is an absolute lock. Like there is, I, I've never doubted something. Uh, I've never been more certain about something in my entire life. And, and that's that the first round leader at the Charles Schwab challenge, which by the way, if you try to say two times fast, you will screw it up. The Charles Schwab challenge, 2021 first round leader. I'm telling everybody this on May 25th. It's a Tuesday night at 9.05 PM. Your first round leader is none other than at 80 to one Russell Knox, Russell Knox. You're welcome. America. Nick, 
since you were the fan of Russell Knox also on this show, how do you feel about that? I'm in. Yeah, that's cool. I'm, I could do that. All right. So you I have could, to uh, Yeah, no, I could just max out some accounts and stuff, see what happens. And Thank when you. he went, like, there's no even worry about skipping town because it's already cash for the most part. Just well, the, only, the only worry is, like, whether your book is actually going to pay out the full amount. Because oh, yeah. it's, it's right. going to be such a high number. Joel, what do you think? <laughs> They're going to be bankrupt. Yeah, that sucks. No, that's an easy one. I'm, I put my 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 son's entire college savings account right on yep. that. So now he can go to college twice. If he wants to be a doctor, I can afford it thanks to Ultima. So that's easy. You don't even need the college fund. Just tell him to go D1 and something. It's up to him. There you go. Like You're just being a father. Hey, man, go go hit golf balls. No, that's right. That's right. I've got this. I've got this iPhone. Um, there's no cover, so you know it's probably twenty dollars less value. But I mean, I could put that on on eBay or whatever the kids are using these days, and just just throw that amount on it, which is like what, like six, seven hundred. I could probably get for this iPhone eleven. So I'm going to do that. I, I think Russell Knox is an absolute lock. I think it's a done deal at this point. Yeah, yep. gentlemen, that is that is our show. We don't have any more questions. If you do have questions. You get into Discord and we answer them for you. I will say this, for those of you that are still listening, there may or may not be a weather edge tomorrow. So you are going to have to kind of, right now, I think if there is a weather edge, it's with the Thursday a.m., Friday p.m. crowd. But the weather edge is so negligible right now that I don't know that you need to worry about it. But that might change. And and if the gusts get, you know, more severe, let's say, you know, Friday morning and, and Thursday afternoon, then we might have a different analysis there. So pay attention to that. And then, of course, get in Discord and ask us any questions you want. Joel, go ahead. Yeah, I'll just add one quick thing on the weather edge. Well, you know, if it's negligible, obviously it's negligible. But if there ends up being an edge, another thing to keep in mind is typically, even with the edge, it doesn't end up being every single guy is from either the morning or afternoon. There's still a mix. So all that means is way maybe the tea time's heavier, play a little bit more of those guys, but don't just make it exclusive. I'm only touching mm-hmm. afternoon guys because that's not typically how it plays out. Yeah, unless it's like an extreme, you know, weather issue, then you might want to stack it. But no, that's absolutely true. If you love a guy and he's a great ball striker on this shorter course, you know, play him. Unless there's like, you know, unless you're looking at like, you know, 25 mile per hour winds with 30 mile per hour gusts. And the other the other part of it is, you know, looking at, you know, 10 mile per hour winds with zero gusts. So uh, but take a look at that. It, it can get windy in here. So so we'll be on that. I know Stephen gives us kind of like the final weather report around eight or nine o'clock, which is a few hours after he issues the ownership article, which, again, you can find on winddailysports.com. Um, we're doing all the sports, everybody. So hopefully you're not just in the PGA discord, but you're in all the discords. Everybody's killing it. I mean, I'm not just saying that like the the MLB team is like absolutely destroying it the NASCAR team recently had a huge win um everybody's kind of winning right now so ride the wave uh gentlemen any final thoughts on the Charles Schwab invitational challenge that I the invitational that I just made up any final thoughts boys just that uh sports yeah, sports in uh, Team USA. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> but, you know, the, the thing is, though, like, that's all well and good, but sports. <laughs>